I didn't introduce myself at the beginning. If you haven't met before, my name is Jeff Manning. I'm the college minister here at the church, among other things. Whoop. Um, Aggie's in the room. Um, hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm thankful you're here. If you have a Bible, hopefully you do, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read all the way up to verse 25. said that. I didn't bring my Bible up here. Guilty. That happens sometimes, friends. Genesis chapter 1. Should almost have this memorized. Um, Genesis chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be lights, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place. And let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered there, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which, there's, which is their seed, each according to his kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the dark for, or the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in their expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens and so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying be fruitful multiply fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day And God said, let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God said it was good. Hey, would you go with me in prayer as we get ready to to hear from God's word? Father, we're thankful for your word and the repetition of, of what we just read does us, does us good. The repetition reminds us, God, that you said it, you created it, it brought order to chaos, 
And Father, you looked upon all of it, and you said it was good. So, Father, I pray that the confession of our hearts this evening would be that there have been times where we have not seen your creation, the things that you've made, including ourselves, as good. So, Father, I pray, uh, coming from our confession this evening, Lord, that we would see more clearly, God, that you, you are good. Everything you do is good. So would you help us as we look to your word right now? Um, God, we trust you. We need your help right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, uh, I'm excited because uh, we get to go through a series. It's going to be broken up. So um, seven sessions through Genesis, and we're, so we're going to start here. So um, when you're kind of reading the text and kind of looking at it, you know, one of the things that it reminded me of is um, I grew up in a, a, a two-story house. Anybody else grow up in a two-story house? Any currently live in a two-story house right now? No? Negative? You got that college life. Everything's single story, unless you're in a dorm. Um, there's a lot of two-story houses, and if, if you look at kind of the basic layout of a lot of the, the houses that have two stories, it's, it's pretty similar, which is a lot of the kids' rooms are upstairs, right? It's either a kids' room or it's a playroom or a bonus room, something along those lines, and it's any room but mom and dad, usually. Um, there's reasons for that. It's because... Uh, I, I turned 34 this year, and my knees are al already telling me that, that there's, there's a time coming in which I'm not going to be able to get up the stairs. So the older, the older people and the more curmudgeonly people get to sleep downstairs by themselves. So this is how the world works. But when I was younger, um, I uh, had a room upstairs with my sisters, and we had our own space and set up, and you got to decorate it like you wanted to. And um, we shared a bathroom, and there's a lot of good things about it. Um, but the reality was that we were not self-sufficient living upstairs. Um, anytime that we were hungry, we had to go downstairs. And um, anytime we had to face the realities of school and, and church and really anything else, we had to go downstairs. And anytime we got together as a family, we had to go downstairs. And sometimes, as probably many of you know, and, and this is not unique to two-story houses, but uh, sometimes you had to go downstairs because uh, a strong question Strong request came up the stairs and said, hey, can we talk to you for a minute? You guys ever get that question before? No? You know, nobody else got in trouble at their house? Okay. Okay. I'm just going to confess some sins up here real quick. But we, we hesitantly slide down the stairs, right? We didn't want to go down the stairs, and we got back up as quickly as we could. Like once that conversation was over, we tried to get back to our own space where we could be unbothered, untouched by the rest of our reality. And you know, I, I often lived in such a way that I could assume, and here's what often happens. I assumed that by escaping to the upper story of the house, I didn't have to live according to the lower story of the house. That was the way I could avoid. But the fact was that it was my parents' house. And the reality was there is no second story getaway without the foundation of a lower story. And I, I think it, it's an illustration for us that, or I think it's, it's a little bit ironic that a lot of the, the kids' rooms uh, in a house are upstairs because it sort of gives us this picture that you can be sort of blissfully ignorant. You can just go and play and ha have to not have to uh, be dependent on anything else, especially something that's more foundational, like just bricks and mortar, things beneath you, but also the reality that you're, you're under authority. 
And I think when we look at the book of Genesis, I think that's something we see that what we realize is there's a foundational first story that we have to get a handle on. Because otherwise, if we, if we leave that foundational story, it's going to be both impossible to understand anything else. And it's going to be quite foolish to do that. The scriptures are clear on that. That if we don't understand that which God has said and which God has created, not only is it going to be impossible to understand anything else, but it's just it's going to be foolish and you're going to find yourself in all kinds of unhelpful, unwelcome realities, despair, confusion, right? And so this evening, as we kind of jump into Genesis, um, I want us to see basically three big truths. Uh, normally, what we do for, you know, with text is to walk through it verse by verse and try to understand it, but we get a lot of repetition. So if you're keeping track of things this evening, I just want to lay out basically three big ideas. Three sort of what's called transcendental truths. You guys ever, did anybody ever study kind of transcendentals in school? I feel like there's not going to a lot of hands going to go up right there. I got one. I got one. Thanks, James. The two transcendentals, do you remember them? Okay. I'm not going to embarrass. Um, but basically tr three transcendental truths, and here what they are, and I think we get them in Genesis 1, 1 through 25 that are going to help us kind of give us a framework for understanding the text. And I think here's the, here's the truth. It's going to tell us what is true. It's going to tell us what is good. And, and then the third one is what is beautiful. If you've been here for some time, there's a similar pattern that we taught on. And Paul does this, that he holds these three virtues together of faith, hope, and love. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing in the sense that if you take one of them away, it affects the other two negatively. If you take away faith, then you lose the grasp of what you're actually hoping for. And in the same way, if you take away those things that are beautiful and all you have is true and good, things may not be as compelling. It could be right. Things could be ordered. I'm an orderly person. It doesn't make things aesthetically beautiful, though, right? So I think the picture that we're going to get in Genesis is sort of this framework for understanding all the rest that, that God is going to do which is, is going to be true, it's going to be good, and it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be a reflection of his character. And as we're going to see these in the first verses of Scripture, what God reveals from the very beginning is laying this foundation for us. So that's what we're going to do. So if you're, if you're keeping track, the first one we're going to look at is, is just what is true. Try to look at what is, what is true. I think when, as Christians, when we think about the book of Genesis, it's easy to to easily uh, it's easily to go to those questions, those common questions. I think I, we floated a question out there earlier this week about hey, what questions do you have about Genesis, and uh, it, it's, it's some of these questions that come up: How did God create from nothing? Right? Did God create in seven literal days? Do we have? Well, what is the age of the earth? Is it old earth? Is it is it young earth? What was the fruit in the garden? And my favorite, what are, where are dinosaurs? Where do the dinosaurs come from? That's, that's one my son asked me. We, uh, <laughs> he's got a book at there at the beginning, and it says millions of years ago, and I have to like gloss over that as a daddy. I, kinda, I don't know. I don't want to get into an argument right here about whether it's millions of years or thousands of years or whatever. But you guys get the point. Is There's all kinds of these questions that come up about, about Genesis, and they're common questions and they're understandable. I just don't think they're the first questions we should ask. They're not the primary ones. They're worth looking at, and they're worth answering, but they're not primary. They're curious questions. And, and what we mean by curious is, like, it's, it's something that you're trying to understand apart from everything else. It's just a question you're curious about. 
just want to know the answer to. But what is the purpose or what is Genesis saying that is fundamentally true about the word? Here's, here's at least four things that we get right there in these, in these first few verses. So what is the purpose or what is Genesis saying about what is fundamentally true? God is. That's one. He created. That's two. It had order. That's three. And it was good. And there's so much that flows from that. These simple, these simple truths, there's so much that flows from them. And he did it by his word. These are the things that he spoke into existence. When we talk about truth, we talk about truth in, in, in correspondence to what God has, has spoken and what, what he said. If I could, has anybody ever seen, um, is anybody a documentary fan out there? So um, me and Brad Doherty, who's spoken here uh, at late night, a friend of mine here on staff, uh, one of the things that he and I go back and forth about is about gardening a lot. I, I actually, I don't garden at all, uh, so it's, it's kind of ironic that we end up talking about it a lot. I just think it's really cool for people who actually do it, because um, I don't have a green thumb. Uh, I, don't, I don't touch, I don't do, man, we have tomato plants, that's about the extent of my gardening skills. But I'm fascinated, I'm fascinated by uh, those who do sustainable gardening, kind of this biodiverse gardening. So if you're a documentary person, I'd encourage you to go check out one. It's called The Biggest Little Farm. Uh, last saw, I saw it on Hulu. It might be elsewhere. Um, I've gone back and watched it a few times because it was just captivating. It was just really well shot. But it's a documentary about a couple that uh, they live, they're from, they're from Los Angeles, um, and they convinced some friends of theirs to financially back them to buy 200 acres of land outside of the LA city limits and they were going to build this massive self-sustaining farm and so that it just starts out just trying to convince the friends of why they want to do this they want to live on the land learn what it meant to cultivate and create things and because they didn't know what they were doing at the time one of the things they did was they recruited a mentor uh, to help them you know uh, figure out what kind of soil that they had and the fact that their, their soil was, was dry and they needed to, they needed to uh, supplement it and, and bring nutrients back. They needed to figure out what plants thrive in that particular region and how the byproduct of one animal, you guys catch me on that, the byproduct of an animal gives life to the crop of another on a different part of the property. And it was fascinating because, well, he's, he's right by their side the whole time helping them through, through each phase. But as, each, as they go through each phase and as the years pass on, because it captures like eight to ten years of their life, it's a long documentary, um, this mentor passes away and they, they're left to sort of figure it out on their own. And as they do that, one of the things they, they learn is that there's things that are just naturally, that, that things naturally go just the way that they're supposed to go. And if you can figure out what that process is, you can just let it run. Just as an example, they were having snails eat the citrus in the citrus part of this massive farm. And what they realized is that you can take the ducks, release them into the orchard, and they would eat the snails. So the ducks were fed to, to take care of the orchard problem. And as they did that, they had droppings that fertilized the trees to make more oranges. It's just fascinating. I don't know if that amazes you or not. As I was watching that, like, that's just fascinating to me. And what it made me realize, and, and they, they had these sort of existential moments where 
they're just sort of really like coming to terms with the things that they're finding out. You guys ever have those moments in your life where you just, as you're kind of going about, something just naturally kicks in, like when something just sort of works out? That's what, that's what happens. And they can only do this because there's something that's just fundamentally true about the way the world works. There's something fundamentally true about this land that they're cultivating. They learned it from their mentor, but once that mentor stepped away, they were able to just look at the natural processes of the land and the animals. And so even as he passes away, they, they learn that, okay, there's something about the world and the way that we would say that it's created that it points to. So the more fundamental truths that God is, that he created, it had an order and that was good. It all, it all works together. But if you start thinking about it, what are some of the truths that, that flow from just, just saying God is? And what kind of comfort can that bring? And when we say God is, is that, isn't that better than saying God isn't? Isn't that better than saying that something isn't? What about saying that he created? We can only say that he created. We could never say he didn't create because we wouldn't be here. So you, if you ever press into that question, you're going to press into that truth, you start asking the question, like, what did he create? And you get to that kind of in the later part of those verses, but then you say he has, has order. Think about all the disorder that comes up in your life. Isn't it a good thing that there's someone that exists that creates something? There's many of you who create things all the time, whether that be food. Some of you have uh, artistic skills creating things all the time. There, there's, there's something in you that wants to do that and gets great pleasure in doing that. So we talked about not the existence of God, but God takes pleasure in creating things. These are things that you just get right there if you begin to reflect and meditate. Right just in those couple of words, and then it had order. And for all the chaos, especially for our generations, we're not, we're not too far apart. We've grown up in a world where we've been exposed to all of the chaos. We're very aware of all the things that are going on around us. And then to fundamentally say that not only... Does God exist? Not only does he create, not only does it have an order, but it's good. I've not been able to say that very much. I find all kinds of opportunities to say that's not good. I don't like that. And so there's so many truths that, that flow down from that. And so here's, here's the reality. Like, just like a kid, because there's a, there's a book that we use with our son that goes over these truths about uh, that we're going to see here in a second, but the separation of light and dark and the separation of the sea from the sky. And what it does for him is it helps him create a language, a grammar, a way of talking about the world. It's so important. You guys are so used to this. You, that when, you're, when you turn to one another and you start talking to each other, you understand each other because both of you have learned the same grammar. You recognize the words from each other. There's a certain kind of agreement that happens. And this is why we look at the doctrine of creation. This is why we read Genesis, because it gives us sort of some, some core truths, even though they're not fully explained. And we have all kinds of questions about, what does this mean? There's some fundamental truths. It's almost God, as, as if he's saying, I need you to look at this. I just need you to wrap your, your heart and your mind around these core things. Because there's... there's um, there's, there's a thousand things that could come under that. There's beauty 
to be seen, this goodness to be experienced. And at that time that they receive these truths, they don't know that chaos is coming. But when it does, when you're lost or confused, what kind of questions do you ask when all the opposites of those things are happening? When you, when you sort of forget that God exists, and I don't mean that you sort of lose your faith, but you, just in those moments, your, first, your priority is not God is. What kind of questions do you ask? What truths help hold you together? What sort of those fundamental truths do you run back to when those things happen? What is foundationally resolved in your soul? Like the truths that are deep down in your heart about who God is in the world that he created. My faith is, well, you see, here's, here's the truth. Um, faith is, is sort of grasping on t- to something, like grasping on to a truth, really believing it. But our faith and the things that we believe to be true are conditioned. And there's sometimes we don't want to believe these things. And we find all kinds of, of reasons and circumstances not to run back to these fundamental truths that, that sustain us and ground us. And so you start asking, like, well, what is true? But then you can say, take a step beyond that, and you get into the second reality, and not just what is true, what God has said, and those kinds of things, but you start asking, okay, what are all the things that are good? So we kind of move from what is true to what is good. Look at what the text says on these, on these kinds of things. There's all kinds of things that God said is good. He says there's light and dark, day and night. Heavens, earth, water, dry land, plants, animals. That seems so elementary, doesn't it? It seems so elementary to, to say those things. When we start thinking about what is good, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like basic low-level kind of stuff, like very natural things. What, what is the goodness of light? The goodness of light is, and, and I, I say this from somebody who, who, who likes, I'm, I'm more of an introvert, I'm more of a inside body. Um, I do inside really well um, by myself. And so one of the things I don't get to experience very often is just the goodness of light. Matter of fact, I remember I had a roommate in college um, who had transitioned his major from business to pre-med. And when he did that, he sort of had to catch up um, with his classes. And he ended up being in the library a lot. Um, some of those, those, uh, cave dwellers, uh, library hours sometimes, he would go in before dark because he just had a lot going on. So get up early, get in the library, as soon as it opened, he would be there in there, be in there for a while studying, and then um, he wouldn't really leave until the sun had gone down. So there were these long days where he didn't get any sunlight at all. And I remember him talking about that and finally getting to come out in the daylight, and as soon as the sun hit his skin, it began to tingle, right? It's his body telling him, you haven't had sunlight in a while. Your body is neglecting this nourishment. And so we start thinking about, okay, what is the goodness of light? What about, what about in contrast, what is the goodness of darkness? The goodness of darkness is it's, a, it's, it's when we sleep. It's... it's, it's like the Lord telling us, the way that I've created you, it's now time to go down. I remember um, reading something or just about the, the, uh, the, the, the life of work 
And at the end of the day, you ever, you ever, guys ever seen those charts of um, different sleep positions? You guys ever seen some of those memes? Some of them look really odd. You should go check it out. Um, some of them are really concerning, actually. So um, hopefully you don't fall in some of those. But it's an interesting chart because what the point this, this person was making about the life of work is for all the things that we try to accomplish and all of the energy and the ambition and the drive that we have when we go to sleep at night because dark is coming, when we go to sleep at night, just very naturally, the position that we end up being in is almost like the position we end up being when we're in the womb. We basically return to a baby. And it's just like one of those little cues in life that you are dependent. And that this time, this darkness, this sleep is good for you. And I just find that fascinating. It's just like these little signs all across our world that if we're looking intently enough and we have the grammar and if we've got the concept and the framework to think about it, truth, then I think we begin to see it everywhere and we begin to see the goodness of it. If you've ever read the, or if you, the on the Ten Commandments, I think it functions the same way. That when God gave the commandments, it wasn't merely that everything that God had to say was in these ten words, Right? That if, if God just gave these, these ten laws, that's all God had instructed to us. But if you start working it out and the implications of those ten words, then you've got like this full, expansive, not only love for God, but love for neighbor. And I think the same thing happens. Like, how do we determine what is good from these days of creation? Just think about all the implications. Think about all that is fundamentally true about creation. The creation is not merely good because it's intricate and it's not merely good because it's engineered well or that it's beautifully put together I think sometimes when we think about the goodness of creation we think that if it looks good and sounds good and we use the word excellence a lot we think that's, that's what is good but it's not good because of those things it's good because it comes from God this is the God who creates, the God who created out of nothing, such that when we create, we take all the things that he has created, those good things, and we replicate, we sort of image him in that way. God himself is not just truth and holiness, kind of going back to that, you need all three of these to work in tandem together. God is not just truth and holiness, but he's also glory. He's also glory. He's beautiful. And everything that comes from it is beautiful. One of the, we, we talked about this this past Sunday, so if you missed out, here, here's, what we, here's what we went over. Is, and maybe, th- maybe this is the way that some of you have experienced God in the room. Maybe some of you don't really have a great experience in the Christian life. And I, I, th- I think one of the reasons that's so is because one, one of the things we, we, we rightfully communicate about God is that he's eternal. That God has no beginning or end. God is righteous. God is, is right in everything he says and does. And so you can't really question what he says. God is sovereign. He sort of he rules over and is in control of all things. God's holy. He's, he's separate and he's distinct from all these. These are great attributes of God. 
if you go on, you can say he's infinite, he's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, immutable, he's self-sufficient. There's none like him. He doesn't need anything. I want you to just, let's just think about that for a second. Doesn't need anything. He's fine. Self-sufficient, holy. Matter of fact, because of his holiness, it sort of demands that he is distinct. He sees everything. He's never wrong. He's never not been. If that's the only way that we experience God, and and I think we've all had these moments, if if, if that's the way that we experience God, then that can be a very daunting experience. That doesn't come across necessarily as loving. And as, as I've mentioned Sunday was... If that's your experience of God, if you only experience God's holiness, which is a wonderful attribute of God, but if that's all we had, then we have a completely different religion. That's not Christianity. It's daunting because if God is holy and you knew nothing else, then you never know whether God is pleased with you or not. You never know if you're living up to the standard of God's holiness. You're always convinced that you're not. But here's the truth of creation. If that's the only thing we had, then we'd be terrible. But here's the truth. God has these whole other attributes in relation. It's just who he is, but we see him in relation to who we are, which means God is gracious, which means God is kind. He's generous. He gives to us what is best. He's wise. He never makes mistakes. He knows what is best. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's patient. And he meets all of our needs. And so when you begin to take those, those really big attributes and you match them up with what God is for us, I think you capture what is, what is the goodness of God, that God, who didn't need anything, completely sufficient in himself, chose out of an overflow of his character and his nature to create. And again, it's one of those fundamental truths, and when we don't feel that, Israelite, God created an object so that he could set his affection on you. And as a generous God to give you good gifts. So you start mashing these, these attributes together. You can take God eternal. It just means he's just always been. Never known a time where he's not been. And you mash that up with him being gracious, then he is eternally gracious. That's wonderful news. That's the essence of the gospel. That when you get to the New Testament, we talk about in Christ, that from eternity, God knowing what he was going to create, was going to fall, already in Genesis 3, which we're not going to get there yet, but has a plan to be gracious to his people. From eternity, he knew it. And enduring from that period of time until now, and even in the days ahead, that he would be eternally patient with us. And it's just good news. And in the same way that we don't need to focus on these, these sort of uh, extending questions about the sort of the scientific stuff, we, again, which is interesting. In the same way, we need to look at the nature and character of God so that we can truly understand what is good, that everything that he creates is good because he himself is those things. Are those things? I feel like I got my subject verb agreement. Mix up there. 
little comments a week. So, um, but the response being, it has to have a con- concentration on that. And as I shared, like, I mean, the people around you, you're going to need the people around you to see God from those different angles. This is what the community of faith is for. Many of you are doing, which is the very thing that I did through college, which was I was trying to live my Christianity apart from the community of faith, which we call the local church. And so I had some people around me to encourage me. But that which God created, that God has always created a people to set his affection on, to say that are his, we now have that in Christ that we call the local church. And we need that community of faith to see all of that goodness. Because uh, I think maybe some of you, I know some of you were there last night, but maybe some of you would be coming to our prayer gathering on, on Wednesday night. And uh, I, think I, I think I confessed this on Sunday, that sometimes I have a hard time praying because I don't know what to pray. Ever been there? You don't know what to say? And what I had to find myself doing, what I needed to do, which was just to listen to the prayers of everybody else that would remind me of of the goodness of God. And so not just merely setting our concentration on God, but actually inviting everyone else that when you're struggling to believe, and when you're struggling to really believe that God is good, and that God is good to you, that you would have a friend, a community member, someone who's part of the covenant family to go, Hey, I just want to remind you, God is good, and God is good to you, and he's patient with you, his loving kindness is everlasting. We need those people. So you have what is true, you have what is good, and the last thing is just what is beautiful. What is beautiful. When we read this part of scripture, we need to understand that um, it's detailing what is true, which is, we, we, we want to look at it from a scientific way, but you got to understand the kind of, the kind of literature that it is. This is, a, this is a poem that God is giving to us right there at the beginning of Genesis. God's writing it poetically. And there's this thing, and this is getting, um, there's a thing called a merism. And here's what, it, here's what it, you have these different contrasts. You've got light, you've got dark, you've got sea, you've got sky, you've got lands, you've got sea, you've got plants and animals. You have all these, you have these different contrasts and all it's saying is, is that these contrasting parts, they communicate something about the whole. We would say something like this. Everyone kind of searching for the house. Or my son says this all the time when he's looking for something. Like, I, look, I look high and low. I looked under there. I looked under there. I looked under there. And we're trying, what is he trying to say? Is I looked everywhere. I searched high and low. I searched left and right. That room, that room. And he's trying to say, I searched everywhere. And so this is what this, is what this part of Genesis is communicating is that there's a kind of, there's a kind of complete, completeness, there's a kind of wholeness to what God created. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because it indicates for me early on that no matter what happens, all those contrasts that I feel all those discrepancies, all those contradictions that I feel, the things that don't seem like they belong together, those paradoxes in life. That's when I, that's when I can really look and go, I know 
that, Lord, you desire completeness. You desire for this, for my life and our world, that the world that you created to be whole. And I think beauty is not really a category that we look to when we think of completeness and wholeness. When we think of beauty, the, the idea of art is, is a sort of a fascinating thing. Beauty is not merely in the eye of the person who beholds the art. Beauty is, has this very objective thing. It has truth behind it. It's got goodness behind it. If you've ever read Dostoevsky, um, he once said that beauty will save the world, and I really believe that's true. It's sort of like that missing category that we have, that we can't just say things that are true, we can't just make things that are good. I think we have to really kind of recapture that there's a beauty to the way that God created things. He created in a beautiful way. He created as, a, as, a, as an indication of his nature and of his character. And so if we translate it further, not, not just to say that beauty will save the world, but that God himself is beauty and that through him, it's a very grotesque thing, like the very unexpected, the, the, the paradox that we talk about, that the, the standing emblem always before us, like that from the very beginning of, of, of time, God knew that he would look on his, his son, this very grotesque, picture and that would be the thing that that could become most beautiful to us and that's what the cross is and here's the comfort for us again just in, in getting to these weeks where we talk about the image of God and we talk about the fall that that happens I think these truths should kind of give us a way to think about your life think about the world summed up in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the logic of God, the way that God created the world is through him, for him, it's to him, and that in him, he is what is true. He says this in his word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the goodness of God, not that he created us and left us, but he created us in a particular image, and because we have not fit that image because of sin, he's got an image that he's moving us forward. That he who began a good work in you is going to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. The thing he created, he's intent on, on wrapping it up, and he's intent on, on making it whole again. And this is what beauty looks like, looking at a cross, looking at this very grotesque thing. And so I hope these, these truths are, are going to kind of give us something to work with going, going forward. And that here in this evening, like if you're feeling that kind of chaotic, like I don't, I don't know, I don't have order in my life, just know that's not the way it was meant to be. If you're struggling with the, the effects of creation, if you've experienced the worst of it, just know it's not the way it's meant to be. To sort of gra be grounded here this evening, the, the Lord, I, I've struggled with this. I've struggled with this. Um, just being honest here for a minute. I've struggled with that. 
Because on the power of God and knowing all things, and yet, and some of you know this, I told you this on Sunday, but some of you don't, what me and my family are going through where we have an unborn, unborn daughter who in the month of March we're not sh- is likely not going to live. That's just probably the simplest way to, to say that. So when I read these things that God is, that he created, there's an order, there's goodness in it, I'm left to ask the question, then why, Lord, why don't you intervene? Why don't you do that? So I get it. Like there's, there's legitimate times to, to question the goodness and the, and the character of God. But my encouragement would be, as I, as I mentioned to the group that was here on Sunday, there has to be a core set of truth. There has to be something that by faith we labor with the Lord and I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And my heart of hearts, I can keep going and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's his only son, my Lord. Because I can keep going further. I know that God loves me, not just because he created, but the way that he intends on bringing it back. You go on further in that creed there, that Christ was suffered and crucified, he's buried glorious truth he was resurrected so all friends not just doctrine of creation but it sets the path for everything that is to follow that if we believe these things that God created that in the resurrection it'll be made right and here's my hope for you that by faith you can begin to believe that no matter what you're going through again I don't know what the circumstance is but here I'm asking the Holy Spirit to minister to you this evening is that what God created, he intends, he intends, he will make it right. And I think that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is evidence of that. So by faith, I'm praying for you this evening to believe that no matter what you're going through, I'm hoping for you. So if you would, just for a minute, we just bow your head so we can pray for these things. Prayer is a labor. Prayer is something that we have to work, work with, work for. Because there's all kinds of layers we're fighting through when we do that. That when we pray, there are many, there's a kind of a dryness that can easily set in when you haven't prayed in a while. And there's a, and there's a lot of lies that have to be cut away so that we may hear from the Lord. But let me just pray for you, and if you would, pray for me. That we can just set our hearts on these on these truths, these, these very core truths. That God is true, God is good, God is beautiful. And that will be what sustains our faith. Father, God, we're, we're in such a need for you. We often don't know what to say. So I pray these truths are helpful. Father, you gave them to us. And you set them from the very beginning because this is the world that you created. This is the way that you wanted things to be. But 
Lord, you knew what was coming. You knew that it would not be right. You knew where it would go wrong. And Father, as, as part of our lives, we've experienced so much of what has gone wrong with creation. But I pray you would set it right in our hearts to believe by faith, by setting our eyes on your Son, to know that which you created, you were intent on restoring it, and we can see it in him because you sent him in love. He became like us in every way so that all the weaknesses that we feel and the despair that we feel from the devastation of creation, Father, you're through him, the same way that you created, you're intent on restoring. And so, Father, help us to place our faith in that this evening, that no matter what the circumstances, I pray by your Holy Spirit, God, you would reveal in the hearts of the people who are here this evening, God, would just the deception and the lies that they're believing. And that they would see you as king, not necessarily as a distant king who just likes to rule, but you're a king who likes to gently and lovingly rule over his people. A king who likes to give good gifts. You're the king above all kings, God. There is no king like you. There's no person that we can merely look at now and really understand goodness because we failed in so many ways. We have so much authority in our lives where there's been misuse of power. And it's been abused. And so, Father, God, would you restore the image of a good king, a good father, a loving creator, an eternal God who is patient and kind. God, would you restore that this evening? Would you increase our faith? Help us to believe, God, we're fighting to believe those things. There's so much chaos happening. Would you restore order for your name's sake, for our good? Help us to worship, Lord. Help us to respond. We, we believe that you're the King of kings, and I pray just as a moment of response, we can sing those truths. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.